family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. What a week. Exhausted yet? Exasperated? Well, sure. But we're going to muster up the energy to look at some of the deeper patterns of what went on in Georgia and Washington, D.C. last Wednesday. We're not just going to stay in the political arena. If you want that, you got plenty of outlets. We have to go deeper. We'll find some irony. We'll find some complexity. We'll find some emergence. We'll find some synchronicities. Won't be dull. Helping us, co-host and keeper of How the Computer, uh, Ron Van Warmer. And in addition to our improvisational conversation, we'll get some much-needed Jazz from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. And much-needed insights from our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. And we'll open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox to soothe our souls a little bit with two of the best bass players of all time. It won't be dull, so fasten your seatbelts. We look forward to you joining us for another session here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. <laughs> Indeed. Open the doors. See, Hal's an interesting case. Most intelligent computer, right? Uh-huh. And has a psychotic breakdown. Yeah. Because human beings created two totally contrary oppositional algorithms. Yeah. That that his brain couldn't deal with. <laughs> uh, we're sort of in the same place right now oh, with our we? human brains, and we're going to get into it. Uh, good morning, Ron. Good morning, Doug. Uh, an historic week. This this one for the history books. And remember where you were. I'm going to start with irony. Okay. And we'll graduate to synchronicity and emergence. Um, because it's easy to forget that it was on the same day that an absolutely amazing a political upset took place in Georgia. Yeah. A southern state that was slowly turning purple um, that Joe Biden won. It wasn't a shock that he won, but a bit of a surprise. Yeah. In a very close election. But the two Democrats who ran in the runoff were not expected to win. Why? Because in the past, uh, first of all, the two Republican candidates got more votes than the Democratic candidates um, that they were running off against. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and um, there was evidence that a number of Republicans voted for Biden because they were they had, had it with Trump, but would probably vote for the two Republican senators because they didn't want a Democratic Senate. Right. And, and, and that's why the, the Congress, uh, the Democrats lost in Congress, mm-hmm. lost seats and 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 really barely gained in the Senate. Yeah. During the election. So so this was, you know, not a, a blue wave at all. No. OK. So now. Two years ago, Stacey Abrams was running for governor, African-American woman. She would have won if not for the fact that the Secretary of State, who then became the governor, actively suppressed the black vote. Mm-hmm. They did everything they could, legally and illegally, to, to prevent or uh, discourage blacks from voting. Otherwise, right. Stacey Abrams would have been the, a black governor in a southern state. Um, and she was out in force, much to her credit, to organize for this, this uh, runoff. But the Republicans were expected to win it. Yeah, I, I was fairly confident that the Republicans would win it. I was shocked. But here's why, as interesting as that is politically, because not only was it kind of revolutionary that two Democrats would win senatorial seats in Georgia. A black man and a, a black Jew. black man and a Jewish filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. But... So you, we can look at it politically. Okay, fair enough. That's been done. Here's the irony. And this was mentioned in the media, but I think it's huge. Because I happen to be a fan of irony, even when it doesn't work for me. And <laughs> irony is one of those concepts that's tough to define. It is. So I just looked it up. Uh, here's one dictionary uh, description. You know, irony is sort of like what, what the Supreme Court said about pornography. Uh, maybe I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh-huh. Like, we know irony when we, when when we see, see it. it or hear it, but it's hard to describe. Irony, the expression of one's meaning by using language that normally signifies the opposite, typically for humorous or emphatic effect. Um, so what's the incredible irony here? Yeah. Why was there a senatorial runoff? The... During the in the actual election for president and senators, the two Republicans got the most votes. Right. Why weren't they sent to the Senate? Uh, Georgia has a rule. Correct. <laughs> and most states don't. In fact, I'd have to look up whether any other states do. And the rule was put in to keep blacks from getting elected. <laughs> the way it worked was that. All right, so whites started seeing, and by the way, if you don't think what happened in Washington, D.C. is primarily about race, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Uh, we'll go over that. But um, so uh, the, and beyond race, it's, it's fear of the other. Right. It's the part of the human brain, the mammalian brain that unless educates itself and learns to access the parts of the brain, primarily the right hemisphere, which is more empathic and big picture, we all have that mammalian instinct to protect territory against anything that looks foreign. Mm-hmm. That's that we're not. That's not known. Um, but the law that went into Georgia 
that was put in there to prevent blacks and minorities <laughs> from getting elected. And what they said was, okay, we see, we see what's going on. More and more progressive type people are moving into our state. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do is we'll put in a law that if you don't get 50% of the vote, there's a runoff. Right. That way, if there's an African-American or other uppity minority that uh, looks like it's going to win, as long as we can keep them from getting 50% of the vote in the runoff, the good old white Christian nation will show up and make sure they don't get elected. Mm-hmm. So the very law that was put in there to prevent primarily African-Americans from getting elected is the only reason an African-American got elected. There's if that's not irony, I don't know what is. <laughs> there is That is irony. It's also one of my favorite laws, even though it doesn't always work for me. The law of unintended consequences. Ah, yes. What a great law. What a creative law that is. Yeah. Uh, the law of unintended consequences. You think you're doing the right thing? Uh-huh. Maybe you are. But have you really thought out? And maybe it's not even possible to think through all the potential unintended consequences. Yeah. I guarantee you the white the whites that put in that law that if you don't get 50%, you have to have a runoff to put thinking they would prevent an African American from getting elected. Sorry, law of unintended consequences did just the opposite. It did. So what happened last week I think should make us appreciate irony, which doesn't yeah. always work in our favor. But it's a good thing to understand and, and at least be aware of. Okay. Right. Well, that same, same thing could happen um, with the filibuster. You know, they're trying to, in some areas, they're trying to eliminate the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And that could have unintended Oh, it will. We just don't know whether it's for good or for bad. Right. Now, now we go to kind of synchronicity. Uh, although it's not, it's clearly cause and effect, so it's not really a synchronicity. And that is, uh, but the, the uh, suddenly thousands of people show up, when I say suddenly, uh, when Trump invited his supporters to come to D.C. Uh, for a rally to help him to, to convince Congress to overturn the people's vote. Right. That was organized with the you know the, the you know after it was clear that um, uh, that he he was going to create a false narrative mm-hmm. to protect his image that he actually won, um, and now I'm hearing all kinds of conspiracy theories. Well, uh, the reason there weren't and it was a disgrace that there was barely any security protection, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't care who's <laughs> coming to Washington. If you have thousands of people coming to a protest rally, you'd think you'd have security around. Now you got the conspiracy theories. Oh, it was the Democrats. It was the left. They, they wanted this to happen, so they purposely kept the security from being there. Oh, no, no, it was, it was Trump. He didn't want security there, so there could be a... I don't think things are that well planned. I Somebody think so. screwed up. There's the law of unintended consequences here. There's a lot of screw-ups yeah. and a lot of things. But, but you see, on the bigger tent, yes, there were screw-ups, and yes, there are legitimate criticisms. But if we're going to look at the bigger picture, you look at the pattern, okay? What are the deeper patterns going on here? We've talked about this. These are examples of a deeper pattern. And one of those patterns, or two of those patterns are related but not this, quite the same. One of them is not a criticism. 
It's a reality. The United States is an empire in decline. Mm. It happens to every empire. It's the way nature <laughs> works. It's the way evolution works. Forces rise, forces fall. Species rise, species go extinct. Um, and we can't always predict where it's going to go. But the fact is we know that every empire rises and falls. doesn't mean we disappear. England didn't disappear. The UK didn't disappear. China didn't disappear. Spain didn't disappear. France didn't disappear. The uh, Netherlands didn't disappear. Uh, the Scandinavians, they, they were all empires. Yeah. Doing a lot of bad stuff <laughs> that empires do. Yeah. Like take over other territories and rob people of their freedoms. We're no different. No. And uh, the fact that we are a empire in decline is not a criticism. It's the way nature works. But empires in decline don't behave very well psychologically as yeah. cultures. Uh, the Romans... Um, weren't the first empire to decline, but they kind of wrote the rule book. You know, okay, <laughs> let's start hiring mercenaries to start wars. You know, to wars outside. We don't we don't want to dirty our hands. We'll hire mercenaries to do that. How the mercenaries decline, ended up turning on turning on them. How to decline for dummies? <laughs> <laughs> and, they, right. The Romans wrote the book. Right, empires in decline for dummies. Uh, start with the Romans, but every empire does it. Yeah. And it's it has to do with greed. It has to do with the part of the human brain that we better get right. Yeah. Um, that we better override, because we now have nuclear weapons. For God's sakes, okay. The, the consequences are, are can 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 get out of control a lot faster and with a lot more devastation. But the point is, and empires are what they are: countries. Countries are groups of individuals. And individuals are ruled by how their brains. Uh -huh. And we're not educated how to use our brains. <laughs> we're, we learn to read. We learn to write. We learn arithmetic. We learn a little bit about ethics. We learn a little bit about history. But it's, history is written by the winners. Right. Um, not so much anymore. Now we have the World Wide Web. So you can read the history of the losers, too. That's good. But let's look at some of the deep patterns here. Number one, when empires are in decline, they start. They act very badly, and related to that, we've talked about this. Is the fact that we are—I don't know that we ever were—but it was one of the myths, one of the memes, one of the archetypes of American culture is a white Christian nation, right? And now, and that's how Trump got elected. Yeah, think about this. Now. There are millions of people I, that I still believe it. I didn't understand this at the time when Trump came down the elevator. I said, "Okay, listen." I lived in New York City for a long time. I saw Trump rise. I, I know who this guy is. He's a really good uh, carnival barker. He's, mm -hmm. a, he's a superb salesman. He he knows how to brand himself. But the reason he's doing this is not because he's going to get elected president. This guy can't get elected president. He's doing this to extend, to expand his brand. Mm -hmm. It's advertising for his, his hotels. Right. I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. So now, after he announced... The first item he brought up, that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. Right. Which is just a code word for racism. Yeah. Okay? So his first platform, the first thing he talked about was Barack Obama. How come you, I want to see your birth certificate. I demand to see your birth certificate. And I'm going, well, that's 
pretty pathetic. Yeah. It worked. It did. Because then where did he go after he uh, challenged Barack Obama to, 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 to present his birth certificate? Uh, and by the way, he went further than that. He said, this guy was born in Africa. Right. Oh, that's not racist. Yeah. Okay. Meant to be racist. Nothing wrong with being born in Africa. Um, where did he hold his first rallies? Down in the Deep South. Mm-hmm. To fund to a, a significantly fundamentalist audience. I'm going, wait a minute. Why are they interested? Donald Trump is a slick salesman from New York City. It's the furthest thing in the world that rednecks and fundamentalists in the Deep South are going to be interested in. They love them. Why? Because using code words, he basically said, I'm going to bring back your white Christian nation. Right. Build a wall. That was his Build a wall. Keep out them foreigners. Exactly. Keep out them dark-skinned people. Yep. So, you know, there's a deep pattern here. And I understand, you know, the human brain can keep two disparate thoughts at the same time. And that's often how creativity is... uh, is expanded, right? So a lot of us are really, really relieved that starting in a few weeks, Joe Biden is going to be president and not Donald Trump. A lot of us are very relieved about that. Mm -hmm. But when Biden stood up last week to react, everyone's waiting, what's his reaction to the mob scene in Washington, D.C.? Here's what he said. The scenes of chaos at the Capitol do not reflect a true America, do not represent who we are. Couldn't be more wrong. Mm. What a hallmark card BS. <laughs> Give me a break statement. Now, you could say, oh, but we needed to be here. No, we don't. We need to grow up. And as the great Carl Jung taught us, if we not taught this in school, unfortunately, is we all have dark shadow stuff inside. If we don't, it only can dominate us if we're not willing to look at it. Well, the biggest sort of oxymoronic uh, statement uh, about the United States is that United States. We've never been united, and yet we have because we haven't fallen apart. You're right. We are, <laughs> we are states we that have very different attitudes. We are a mix of mongrels. God bless us. Right. Yeah. Uh, there are very few blue bloods out we there. We almost didn't make it. There was a civil war. Right. Could have ended it. There have been, re- but you know, somehow, maybe we don't stay united, but we we hold it together. And, but but here's, I, I, I could, I, oh God, I cringe at that statement. The scenes of chaos in the Capitol do not reflect a true America, do not represent who we are. Yes, it does. Not everybody. Well. But it represents, it, look. We better get. We better it's certainly get, not what we want to be. But we better get this right. Us against them doesn't work. It feels good, right? It feels good to turn on CNN and MSNBC and hear them rail against Trump. And the other side feels good when they can turn on Fox News or go to Breitbart and hear rails against the left. It gets us nowhere. No, it does. It's it just does an not. echo chamber. It's all it is, and that's why. At the deep level, there is no difference between Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow. Sorry, there isn't. You you might like one better than the right. other. You might you might be more on their side politically, but they're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and it doesn't advance dialogue. No, it not just enhance. It just 
makes the echo chambers louder. Now, I'm not going to be a Pollyanna either and say, oh, we just have to all come together. No, we don't. We're not going to. <laughs> we don't all have to come together. And we're not going to all come together. But we need to get a little bigger picture of what's going on. And that is that in nature, in evolution, uh, there's something called um, uh, punctuated equilibrium. Okay. Okay. I think that I got that right. Let me look that. Hey, Google. <laughs> punctuated equilibrium. In evolutionary biology... Both of our phones are going off. I, that's great. We both have the same Google Assistant. you got to love the 21st century. All right. Punctuated equilibrium. In evolutionary biology, punctuated equilibrium is a theory that proposes that once a species appears in the fossil record, the population will become stable. All right. But it goes on. The point is, evolution is not a constant upward line. Mm. It's a line that's basically flat. And then all of a sudden there's a leap. Spikes. It's spike. Thank you. It's better than a leap. There's a spike. Mm-hmm. Punctuated equilibrium. What looks like equilibrium really isn't. But it doesn't go up on a steady basis. It looks pretty clear. We don't know. But I'll take a bet. We're at one of those rare points in evolution. Forget about mm. American history. And not forget about it. But this is beyond American history. Well, I think we're point at, at human evolution at punct- of punctuated equilibrium when whether you call it a bifurcation, in order for a leap to take place, there has to be a lot of chaos and the feeling that things are just totally falling apart. That's how nature works, mm-hmm. okay? So, for example, my favorite analogy, before we even showed up on the planet to cause our mischief, um, the reason there would be huge forest fires it's not because some stupid, you know, human got drunk and right. set, you know, set something on fire or some drunken deer did <laughs> or some um, uh, a bear whose mother didn't love him. You know, it's not, right. you know, you had, had a fit and started a fire. It didn't work that way. Nature does that to get rid of dead wood so that new growth can emerge. You can't have new growth, right? If there's no space for it, right. for it to get sunlight and nutrients. So nature naturally would have for these forest fires that would destroy thousands of acres. Okay. Look at the Ice Age. We have these beautiful Catskill Mountains and Schwangunk Mountains in Ulster County, right? Uh-huh. Ice Age. Glad we weren't around during that. <laughs> Might have been a little, I'll tell you what, I think golf would have been out of the question. Yeah. I would have been depressed. You know? <laughs> so... Um, we're at a, a at this 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 disequilibrium, okay. So I'm not in any way uh, minimizing the danger of what happened last Wednesday. Okay, what if some of those people had machine guns? Yeah, some apparently did have guns. You know, uh, so I'm not. But what I'm saying is, if we're going to try to get a bigger picture to get to the deeper patterns. What happened, as extraordinary as last Wednesday was, because they happened on the same day, those two things, the irony of the Georgia runoff, um, the for progressives, the incredibly good news that an African-American minister and a Jewish filmmaker got a, a guy 32 years, got elected <laughs> Senate in the Deep South, yeah, which shifted the whole nature of 
Congress over the next two years, after a crazed roller coaster ride with Trump and his Republican acolytes, um, there, we're not going to have peace and goodwill and united. Forget it. That's not where we are. We have a role to decide whether it's going to be the next Renaissance or Mace Anxiety because both are probably on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which we experience is going to depend upon what part of the, our minds and our brains we access. And it's not easy when we're under stress. I mean, I, this morning I said, I am freaking exhausted. <laughs> I don't want to do this damn, I don't want to do the damn show. <laughs> I want to sleep. Uh-huh. And then the part of my brain goes, no, excuse me. You have a responsibility. <laughs> this is this is your work, <laughs> all right? Get your ass over to this, you know. And of course, I'm glad I'm here. But there was a part of my brain that said, "Enough already. I've had enough." Mm. I'm sure most people listening have said the same thing. Yeah. And so it's understandable. We have had enough. We're exhausted. Um, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, but there are deeper things going on that we are not in control of. Trump's not in control of it. Biden ain't in control of it. The military ain't in control, and they control a lot of stuff I wish they didn't. Don't get me wrong. Uh Um, But there are bigger forces at work here. And we have to kind of be pilots and shepherds on where the pattern's going to go. It depends on, you know what? And uh, it depends on on what part of the brain we're willing to access when we're under stress and pressure. The easiest place to go, regardless of your political affinities, is certainty. Mm-hmm. All we, oh, now we have a Democratic Congress. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. Well, it's not going to be okay. No, it's not. Um, but there's a difference between having a Biden and a Caligula correct. in power. And personally, I'm glad that the shift <laughs> is happening, right? I'm not saying it's irrelevant. Uh-huh. I'm just saying there are deeper patterns at work here. Oh, yeah. And if you think, okay, now we can relax. 74 million okay, people voted for Trump. Trump. Right. 74 million. Now, now, about, and again, polls are only snapshots, but some two-thirds of Americans, at least right now, it will change, um, uh, are critical of Trump. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they say what he did was wrong and he should be called on it. But then when they say, should he be impeached, it's 50-50. Right. And by the way, I'm not convinced he should be impeached. He deserves it. Yeah. I'm not so sure it's the right strategy right now. Uh-huh. But I'll let that one play out. I can make a case either way for that one. Um, see, my case against impeachment is it would feel good to go after this guy again. Mm-hmm. It would feel good. <laughs> we have a right to feel good, right? He made us feel bad. Now I'm going to feel good. We're going to go after him. But... But if it's more important that people get work, that people be able to feed their families, mm-hmm. um, that um, legislation, that, that, that um, a lot of what Trump did gets undone, uh, it's a distraction. Yeah, it's a distraction. Yeah. So, well, so I, I can make a case. I can make a case either way for impeachment. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm not. Whichever way it goes, I'm okay with. And that's why Gerald Ford uh, pardoned Nixon 
Right. Because he felt it would divide the country even more. Right. And this is going to do the same thing. It, right. So so there's a case for and against impeaching him. Yeah. Um, there can be other things done. The one thing about impeaching him, first of all, it would have to be successful. If it's not, then what do we accomplish again? Right. Um, this time there's a chance it could be successful. The only reason to go for it is if it was successful, it uh, it bans him from ever running for federal office. Right. Again, which would not be a bad idea. No. But you see, um, ultimately, I don't think it's a good idea. If it would feel good, don't get me wrong, it'd be a fun spectacle again. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's productive. I don't, I don't think it really gets us what we need. But at any rate, we have irony. Um, we have some deep patterns here. I, I think uh, uh, as a lot of the chaos will be alleviated because we have a kind of middle-of-the-road, calming president, mm -hmm. right? I was never the big, biggest fan of Joe Biden, but he, he's a decent human being. Yep. Um, that's enough right now, <laughs> you know, after what we've <laughs> just gone through. Exactly. But, um, uh, you know, he's voted for plenty of wars. Um, you know. He, he didn't, he didn't uh, uh, do best during the uh, Clarence Thomas no, hearings. No, uh, nor during the Iraq war. But at any rate, the point is we're glad, you know, a lot of us are glad, okay, it's an improvement. Stop a lot of the chaos. <laughs> but the chaos is not going to stop. Because, unfortunately, Mr. President-elect, the scenes of chaos at the Capitol do reflect a true America, a true part of it. Yeah. And we have to at least at least admit it. Because if we don't admit it, we're not going to be able to change it. Uh, because I am convinced that regardless of how much violence and craziness there's going to be with these right-wing militias and right-wing conspiracy folks, of which there are many, many millions, um deluded people in many cases. Um, I think Trump was proof in an ironic way, back yeah. to irony, Trump was proof that huge progressive changes are coming because Trump represents, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bring back that white Christian nation. No, you're not. No. It's gone. Deal with it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, we've never been, uh, you know, we've always been a kind of fight first culture yes. rather than think something through culture. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be a roller coaster. Um, well, we're going to, we're going to take our first <laughs> break. When we come back, I want to review because a lot yeah. of people just because didn't pay attention and, you know, because obviously the uh, coronavirus dominated the news. Uh, we understand, mm -hmm. not to our benefit, but we understand it. But the year before, 2019, was an absolutely amazing year with extremely important patterns that were not well reported that are going to come to the fray again. And we're going to talk about that. Um how we might bring about the next renaissance. We'll get into that. Mm -hmm. um, and a real synchronicity when it comes to uh, the juke, the first jukebox selection we're going to play today, because I made that selection 
before last Wednesday. Uh-huh. And it's totally related to last Wednesday. Uh, so we'll get to that too. Right. We'll be right back. Evolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out? Don't you know it's gonna be all right? Perfect choice of song. <laughs> Because the brilliance of that... So, well, we'll get to the brilliance of that song in a second. Thank you for playing it. Um, and the reason it's brilliant is is because it's complex. Yes, it is. Very complex. We'll get into that. Yeah. Doug Grunther with Ron Van Warmer here at Radio Woodstock. Um, this is the Woodstock Roundtable. We'll be telling you about our exciting project we're going to be launching in February. Mm. What are we thinking? A trip into the right hemisphere of the human brain. Oh, do we need that? <laughs> I know I do. Yeah. And uh, it's been the most exciting research and experiences I've had in the last 10 years have been with the right hemisphere. We'll get into that. But you just played Revolution. Um, I was thinking, you know, as I came in, you know, they have a speaker in the next couple of months, we're going to be moving to the new church location where the right. offices are, and soon there's our studio will be a very exciting space. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, here where we are uh, at Utopia, there's a speaker. So when I get out of my car at about one minute to seven uh, <laughs> to come in, you can I can hear what you're playing. Because uh-huh. um, uh, I, I had my radio on, but this song hadn't first come on. And the song that came on was Springsteen's Born to Run. Which I remember when it came out in the 70s, hearing it, I went, oh my God, what a sound. Yeah. And I thought to myself, as I heard, I said, you know what? I can't, I must be in a bad mood with all this, between all this isolation from COVID and, <laughs> and, and mob riots and craziness. I don't even, I don't want to hear Springsteen. Oh. And I thought to myself, how sacrilegious can you be? <laughs> and then I said, you know what? I don't want to hear the Beatles either. Ah. You know, I need a break. And then you play Revolution. And it reminded me what a brilliant, complex song that was. Because during a very revolutionary time, the late 60s, the Beatles were asked to come up with a song to help people get through the revolutionary times because things were crazy and scary. And they came up with this magnificent thing. And, and John Lennon created two lines that are my favorite Beatles lines and two of the most brilliant lines I've ever heard. It speaks to the project you and I are going to do. He says, you say you want a revolution. I say you better free your mind instead. Because mm. he understood if we don't free our minds from a lot of patterns that don't work. We're not going to have, you know, maybe we'll have revolution, but we're certainly not going to have a renaissance. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, you say you want a revolution. I say you better free your mind instead. Boy, that that, that reverberates to this day. Um. It's too easy. A friend of mine was telling me, saying last night, you know, there's all the shaming going on, right? Yeah. Trump used it. His people used it to shame the left. Now the left's using it to shame the right. Feels good. Doesn't work. It, it doesn't solve the problem. Solves nothing. 
except making us feel good temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for playing that. Um, where was I going? Um, oh, yeah, uh, Deep Patterns. So about oh, seven or eight years ago, I, I realized two things. One, Ed Rosenfeld, a wonderful man who put together salons here in the New York City that I spoke at and died this last year of cancer. Great guy. Um, he one of the he did one of the salon talks on updating us on artificial intelligence. And as much as I loved Ed, I wasn't going to say, ah, artificial intelligence, I don't want to hear about all that nerd stuff. But of course I went because I respected Ed. And I realized as he was updating, I said, my God, that's the story of the 21st century. It's not, yeah, politics are important. Um, Social programs are very important. But the big story is what's happening with artificial intelligence and the way it's integrating with our brains. Mm -hmm. The digital screen is computer intelligence. We are interacting with computer intelligence most of the days of our lives. Yeah. with, With very, very potentially renaissance consequences and also mass anxiety because there's a lot of fake news on that digital screen yeah and a lot of wisdom and it's you know it's it's not easy wading through all of it but um the other thing i realized along with ai that i needed to to really pay attention to computer intelligence and how it is rewiring the human brain for good and for bad I said, you know, what did I learn about the Renaissance? I said, I feel there's an, I feel there's a potential for a next Renaissance. And I realized I knew almost nothing about the Italian Renaissance. Hmm. Oh yeah, Michelangelo, I get it. Uh-huh. Leonardo da Vinci, I get it. Oh yeah, the Medici's, and oh yeah, um, their their political uh, consultant Machiavelli. <laughs> That's what I knew. Uh-huh. And the Renaissance and the Enlightenment. Mm, bad word because the enlightenment is really about the left hemisphere which is at great progress technologically but missed out missed the boat on the big <laughs> picture but we'll get to that uh, the renaissance uh when you start to study it one of the great books on it uh, great read because even though he's a harvard academic the book reads like a great story called the swerve hmm. um about a progressive pope who had his emissary go out and search for hidden scrolls of Greek wisdom that had been buried in catacombs mm. of monasteries. And he found this one thing and he went, oh my God, it was a basically a, a long treatise in the form of a poem about the Greek philosopher Epicurus, which is brilliant. And when it brought, it, they had to copy everything by hand, but it started spreading throughout um, areas of Italy and helped spark the Renaissance. But there were a lot of different reasons for the Renaissance. First of all, there was the natural rise, there's natural rise and fall of empires, there's a natural rise and fall of political power. And in the Middle Ages, for about 1400 years, the church, along with royal families, totally controlled not only the politics, but what people were allowed to think and say. Mm-hmm. If you rocked the boat, you were either excommunicated or put to death. It was a dark period. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. Yeah. <laughs> um, but everything rises and falls. And so that as that was dying out, what was reborn was this Renaissance, which really means rebirth. So, but 
one of the great instigators of the Italian Renaissance was the Black Plague. Mm. A little perspective. And I, I don't even want to, I usually don't even want to say the word COVID because everyone immediately goes into their camps of either, um, it's, the, it's the worst thing that ever happened and we have to hide out or it's a conspiracy, right? There's no middle ground when it comes to COVID, which is what we need. But at any rate, here's, here's the fact. COVID has been devastating. It's killed, what are we up to? 300,000 Americans? Oh, over. Uh, over 300 and over a million. Well, it, it's a devastating. Okay, got it. The Black Plague killed a third of Europe. Mm-hmm. Now, let's assume that by Europe, it was really more, mostly Western Europe at the time, right? I looked it up. You know what the current, um, uh, the, the current population of Western Europe is? I do not. 200, I didn't either. 200 million. <laughs> okay. So a third of that would be about 70 million people, 65 million people. Could you imagine a virus that killed 65 million Western Europeans? Well, that's in essence what happened right in and, the 15th century. And COVID may have done that in the 15th century. It might have. But it's not as deadly as the Black Plague, trust me, because the fatality rate much, was much higher um, than COVID. Um, but the, uh, the fact is that uh, what happened was People in Italy, they had Italy had walled cities, so they were a little more protected from the plague. But they saw basically it looked like the end of end of civilization, mm-hmm. and they said we got to at least collect the wisdom of the ages because during the dark Middle Ages, the Church made sure that none of the Greek wisdom was ever even found. They buried them in the catacombs of monasteries. Yeah. So people, it was like they erased the memory of of the great golden age of, of democratic thinking and philosophy in, in, in Greece. Um, and it was rediscovered. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it was rediscovered was instigated by the Black Plague. So now we have a, another plague, COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it's not going away very fast, vaccine or no vaccine. And who knows what's coming after it? Because we caused this virus, mm-hmm. and the the and we're not going to stop causing it because it comes from our greed. We keep pushing our towns and our countries and our cars into wildlife areas that need to be left alone for the ecological health of the air that we breathe, right? And the soils that we get nutrients from, and we keep. Destroying them. Um, sort of the same thing with the fires in California. They used to burn, but there was nobody there. Right. <laughs> now we've moved into that space. We've moved into those areas where there's supposed to be fire. Right. For the reasons we said. It's, yeah. it's nature's way of cleaning out dead growth so new growth can, can emerge. So w- will we learn our lesson in time? Who knows? But um, people are paying attention to it. And there's going to be a green revolution. Sorry, right-wing folks. There's going to be. Because it's needed. Well, for survival. Right. So kicking and screaming, there's going to be. Will it come in time? Don't know. Mm. But there's going to be a green revolution. And there's going to be a next renaissance. But the original renaissance wasn't everybody was happy and reading philosophy and (laughs) hanging out in gardens and loving each other. Sorry. 
as the Renaissance moved into Europe, excuse me, Italy is Europe, as it moved north through Spain, and particularly in Amsterdam, which became the seat of the northern Renaissance, you had the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. The financiers of the Italian Renaissance, the ones who supported the great artists and philosophers, the Medicis, were cutthroat politicians <laughs> who, who maintained power through murder and mayhem. Uh-huh. Life is complex. The human brain is complex. It's not all light and dark. It's light and dark. And the two have to, we have to figure out how to work the two together. Um, so that's why we were saying in our project, are we headed towards the next renaissance or mass anxiety? The answer is probably both. Uh-huh. They go together. And how do you determine the beginning of a renaissance? Well, you can't. Right. All you can do, what we can do, because we have more knowledge. You see, the first renaissance, people didn't even have libraries. Right. You weren't allowed to have libraries, number one. And what would your library be? It would be a bunch of scrolls. How many <laughs> scrolls could you have? There were no books. There wasn't a printing press. Yeah. That came later in the Renaissance. So, you know, the idea of an individual private library was unheard of until the Renaissance. But here is the real irony before I get to Patrick. The main philosophy of the Renaissance was called humanism. And it was, notedly, a celebration of the individual because which was also true in ancient Athens. Because during the Middle Ages, there was no such thing as individual, individuality unless, unless you were the Pope. You know, <laughs> you, you, your allegiance was either to the Pope or to a king right. or a queen. That was it. Um, the, and so humanism, part of the Renaissance was the flourishing of a philosophy that celebrated the value of being an individual and having some free will and having some say over how your life was going to unfold, right? Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant, revolutionary, magnificent, progressive philosophy. That celebration of individuality is now killing us. Yes, and the reality is... We don't really have that much individual freedom. We're just really still cogs in the wheel that make the whole run. Yeah, but we have a lot. We, but no one is, they're trying to, but they, we have the ability to not allow them to control what we think. Mm-hmm. And up to a certain point, they can't control what profession we take up. And they can try, but ultimately they can't censor what our thoughts are. They can make it difficult, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but but the fact is, uh, no one is stopping us from seeding the next Renaissance. And um, But it's an irony again that the very philosophy that helped generate and helped the first Renaissance flourish, the humanism, the, the right of individuals, right, which then led to philosophers like John Locke, you know, who, who was a major influencer of Thomas Jefferson in his writing of, you know, in his writings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea of indiv- individuals then became individual property. There was right. no such thing as individual property. 
in the Middle Ages, okay? Um, now, the cult of individualism is going to destroy us. Mm-hmm. We need to become collaborators. We need to be collaborative. Um, there's no individual hero is going to come and save us. Sorry. No. There's no man or woman in a white hat coming to save us. Just as there's no person in a black hat who's all the problems. Um, so we need some form of post-humanist philosophy which says, yes, we're individuals. I don't wear the same clothes you do, and I'm not going home to the same place you are. Mm-hmm. But at a certain level, the complexity of the issues we're facing, we can't handle on an individual basis. So let's understand that and start collaborating because we now have a technology called the World Wide Web that allows us to collaborate with people all over the freaking world. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if the, if the Renaissance comes, it's going to come and much faster than the first one because everything is going faster. Including the dark. Yes. That's what, so, so just as we had the Spanish Inquisition along with as part of the Renaissance, mm-hmm. or the Renaissance, you know, where they happened contiguously or simultaneously. Um, I really believe, and believe me, listen, Trump could have ended the world. Who knows? I mean, it was it was <laughs> it was a nasty time. Um, but I always felt, after I got over my absolute nausea, that this guy was president of the United States. Forget about his <laughs> politics, just as a human being, mm. right? Um, I felt it's, a, it's almost proof that a renaissance is coming because there's always a backlash. That's the way Nate, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. One mm-hmm. of the basics of physics, and I don't know much about science and physics, but I know that one. I know the law of gravity because I play golf. <laughs> um, and um, I understand that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's the way nature works. Mm-hmm. And so it's not shocking. It was. But when we s- contemplate it, it makes sense that on the same day that an African-American minister and a Jewish filmmaker get elected senator of Georgia, uh-huh. that um, that we had a bunch of uh, I, I don't want to describe them as right. A bunch of protesters, pro-Trump protesters, stormed the Capitol, uh-huh. ending in death. Yeah. Um. So they go together. <laughs> yeah, they do. And um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's get Patrick. Uh, let's get Patrick. Fire. I'm sure Patrick needs a lot of firing up today, right? Patrick, are you there? Uh, yeah, but I'm I'm very mellow. <laughs> That's why we love you, man. I don't get upset when uh, when uh, bikers, uh, you know, like if uh, a, one particular biker gang is having a war with another biker gang, and that I mean that's all natural stuff, man. And uh, it, you know, you got people hassling one another forever, and I'm not surprised about Georgia. When I was stationed in Alaska. Uh, I had roommates and, and stuff from places like Rock Mart, Georgia, and places in Tennessee. And these guys talked uh, like guys from there talk, and the guys from New York talked like we talked. 
And we would sit around the barracks drinking this 190 that we had stolen a, a drum of it off the thing when we were unloading the barges on duty for bad guys. And we used to sit around with black guys, white guys, southern guys, southern white guys, New York guys, all, and we would play rhythm and blues tunes, and we would play country tunes, and we would we we had brotherhood, bro. So uh, brotherhood and prejudice it's not a it's not a Georgia thing. It's to the whole U.S. I had a, a black buddy in the last base I was at, and I, he says he was going back to Biloxi, and I says, "What are you doing that for, Johnny?" And he said, "Let me tell you something." He says, "When I'm down there, I know where I'm at." He says, up in New York, you don't know. So uh, prejudice is prejudice, man. And uh, it's been around forever. And they used to shut the Jews up at night in Italy. That's where the word ghetto came from. They used to fence the dudes in, man. So we're we're a funny species. But uh, luckily, 99% of every species around uh, is extinct. And eventually we'll go extinct, just like the Empire Trip. That's nothing new. That's just, history is just old stuff. If you read it, you see it coming. And uh, the other thing I like, you're tripping with the Revolution, uh, with the Beatles, get with Revolution Blues by Neil Young. It's much more appropriate to what went down, man. And right then it just happened. You talk about uh, synchronicity. It just happened that when he was doing that album, uh, Levon and uh, Rick, uh, Levon Helm and Rick Danko were out there. So uh, that's your drummer and your bass player on Revolution. We live in a trailer on the edge of town. You never see us because we don't come around. We got 26 rifles just to keep the population down. But will you need it? Oh, come on, baby. That's the one. Revolution Blues. Neil Young. I mean, he saw it all, and he saw it early. So I lived through this whole expression. And you got the perfect Warren Zevon tune for Trump. Excitable boy. <laughs> and that's where that's at, man. And that punk wouldn't have lasted 30 minutes. Well, no, he wouldn't have lasted three minutes among the people that I hung with. And this is awful. The only thing I'm sad about is Christ. And I'm taking a hike, bro, because I don't want to hear anything else that you got to say. So we got to grow up and we got to get with things and we got to love one another. And when you love one another, it should be a natural thing. And I'm an older dude now. I've seen a few different decades of things. And I have become, from anecdotal evidence, I have become the thought that music and reefer, when you take them and they are introduced to one another, and if you hang out around like in New York where I grew up, you get to know other races and and other religions and stuff like that. You learn their words. You have fun. Uh, I'd come home from some of the places I worked, and I'd be talking about Spachim or something, and Marlene would say, what are you working with the Italians now? <laughs> and you could tell if I was working with the Jews, I'd be coming home, and I'd say, ah, that guy was Bagrovin. I couldn't sell him nothing. <laughs> so uh, that was one of the nice things about living in New York and being an individual. But uh, I hate to see uh, so much bitterness and hatred, and I hate to see this creep taking advantage of people that I've known. I got 
biker, but I, I hung out with the kind of guys who were running through them halls and stuff like that. It's not a right-wing, left-wing thing. Uh, certain guys get sent to detention a lot, and uh, these are just a, a, a breeded person. And uh, we can't help it. We just don't fit in that good. And uh, But I hate to see them getting hustled for the hats and, and giving all the money that they're giving. I mean, and the guy is such a bogus dude. Uh, that That's what I feel bad about, that more people aren't hip to the jive. Well, yeah, he's but, a snake oil salesman, and that, we talked about archetypes last week. And yeah, well, that's what, Jay, that's what Rockefeller was. The, the original Rockefeller was a snake oil salesman. John D., yeah. So there you go, man. And then when his gig, he'd come in and wreck some little oil company by undercutting their price, and then he'd take over. So it's a trip. Anyway, Patrick, it's always good to get a dose of Carlin, and we always appreciate it. Give our best to Marlene and the family, and we will check in yeah. with you next week. Yeah, and just uh, hang on to the uh, seatbelts and enjoy the big circus. All right. Well, music, a little reefer, and a little renaissance. Who knows? Maybe we can make it happen. Thank you, Patrick. We're going to take our second break. And on the other end, the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, give us some healing music. <laughs> 